ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Hey, Linda, happy Monday. Happy Monday. That is for sure, Emily. Good to see you. You've been out and about, my goodness, following you on at Emily M. Kaplan everywhere, including Tampa. You look so happy. I even added to one of your posts. I don't know if you saw that saying something about your happiness. You were just bursting through the screen as you were there with your headsets on, rehearsing for the big opening night that we're all waiting for October 12th in Tampa for you and in Vegas for me. Honestly, Linda, of course I saw your Instagram comment. I see them all. <laughs> and it was so cute because it literally gave me the mom energy of like, oh, honey, you're doing sweet. So yes, oh, that's sweet. Right, you're yes. great. Oh man, it was, it's been a whirlwind week. So yeah, I was in Tampa. We did those test games. It was really cool to do. Got on the ye old charter flight, not charter coach, uh, from yeah. Tampa to Seattle, a six hour flight. And, you know, right when I landed in Seattle on Saturday, I got a message from Robin Lehner. Um, and he said, why are more people not talking about this Jack situation? It's messed up. Um, and I was like, yeah, Robin, it is. And we kind of talked it through. And I got the sense that he was getting pretty upset. And I know he had just done a Spin Chicklets interview a couple of days ago where they asked him about it. And I think as he thought about the situation more because he's friends with Jack Eichel from their days in Buffalo, they were teammates for three years. He was like, why is no one standing up for him? And why is no one standing up for our rights? And then Saturday night, you see the tweet storm. So Linda, you, you saw it from afar, you know, all of a sudden, boom, it's going yeah. viral in your page. What are you thinking? Well, you were in the forefront of this uh, and kudos to you. Um, you wrote about it instantly be- after the whole, uh, you know, Robin Lehner speaking his mind on Twitter, which he's allowed to do. So the, to answer his question, why aren't m- more people talking about it? First of all, most of the media is more obsessed with which surgery Jack Eichel is going to get. Nothing about uh, the claims that Robin Lehner made uh, regarding, uh, uh, you know, pr- prescription pharmaceutical drugs that, you know, he claims I'm going to let you going to add to that. But I'm going to pause for a second, though, because I do yeah. think it is important to talk about which surgery Jack Eichel is going to get. Yeah. Like what people don't realize is it's not just, oh, this doctor believes this and this doctor believes that. Jack Eichel's like the doctors from the Sabres want me to do something that long after my contract expires, I'll still be dealing with and I'm going to have to have future surgeries and this is going to exactly. affect my quality of life. The surgery he wants to get, his doctors are like, this could be one and done and you'll never have to go under the knife again. And that's such a big distinction. That's exactly true. And that's what I was going to say. But you know what? Here's the thing. The Sabres, you can see this side from both of these, uh, from both sides. Jack Eichel, Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo Sabres, that's their property. They pay him $10 million a year. And the players agreed in the CBA that Kevin Adams, the Sabres organization, can do this, can say to Jack Eichel, this is the surgery we want you to do. They're looking the other way. Yes, you bring up a very good point, Emily, that Jack Eichel is going to have multiple surgeries down the road, whether later in his career, post-career, if he goes this route. Jack Eichel is going a different route. That's what he wants. I always feel that a player has a right that's talking about his own body, his own career. But the problem is in the CBA, which the players signed off on, the Sabres have every right to lean on that and say, no, Jack. Now the big question is, when the heck is he going to be an ex-Saber? Again, he doesn't have the C on his sweater anymore. Many of us, including myself, Emily, I mean, I thought he was going to be a goner already. I thought he was going to be traded. I thought there was going to be a team out there that was going to say, hey, I know we don't have clarity on your medical situation. I know we don't have a crystal ball to, uh, you know, predict 
how you're going to feel, how you're, but you're a number one center in this league. They right. don't grow on trees or become available. Let's just go yeah. get them. But the stock now, the trade stock just sucks, right? You know, for what are the Sabres are going to get for this guy? Uh, so I understand the impasse. Nobody wants to budge. That's the issue. But getting back to Robin Lehner and him speaking out, obviously, as we speak right now, um, the thing is, he's going to meet with Bill Daly. Bill Daly, of course, from the NHL, wants to hear more about these Twitter claims made by Robin Lehner, not only uh, ripping the Buffalo Sabres and their medical staff and making claims that his career, his own career, was uh, altered or perhaps could have been worse if he followed their medical recommendations, but he put out like unbelievable claims against Elaine Vigneault, the current Flyers head coach. And, uh, you know, when you start doing that and naming names, uh, of course there's going to be a probe and investigation. And, and I'm glad Bill Daly is going to look into this. Mm, see, I, I think you misread it a bit though. So is this what he wants? I mean, isn't this what he wants? He wants, why aren't more people talking about it? So what does Robin think about Bill Daly sitting him down and wanting to get more clarity? Okay. So he's like, of course, there's going to be an investigation. Sadly, like it's not, of course, it's Bill Daly saying we'll contact the player. And if the player wants to do a formal sit down interview, we will. But you saw in the Vander Kane situation, the NHL never acts based on just social media claims. They need to see it in their own investigation. They like to do things their own way. My take on it is, Yes, the NHLPA had a really great talk with Robin over the weekend. We'll see what happens this week. Yes, the NHL is like, we'll sit down with Robin. But if I'm the league or the Players Association and I see a player talking about this level of mistreatment, I would be jumping at the bit saying, like, I want to know what he knows. I want to get to the bottom of this. And I almost feel like it's not at that level where they're kind of hoping that, oh, this is Robin going off again. Let's just hope this blows over. Emily, that statement Oh, this is Robin going off again. Hope it blows over. Until I see and hear from other NHL players saying the same thing and showing support for Robin, then that is going to be the narrative regarding these claims by Robin Lehner. The question is, we know how the NHL is. We know how the players, how they're advised by the representation. They, we know that they have to just focus in their lane and stay in their lane. That's been the mentality, the conservative mentality for years and years and years, right or wrong in the NHL. But until I see or hear some support for Robin and the other thing, if I'm a Vegas Golden Knight fan, I don't like this. I mean, you've just been given the keys to the castle, right or wrong about Robin's claims. I'm saying I'm speaking for the Vegas Golden Knights. They may not admit it, the fan. They may not admit it, but they don't like their goaltender who now has given the keys to the castle. That is the crease. No more Mark Andre Fleury to compete with. I would be like, why aren't you just worried about being the man, being our number one guy? Why aren't you just focusing on that? Right. Well, so everything you just described, in my opinion, is what makes Robin so brave for speaking out um, because it's not what a typical hockey player would do. It's not what a star hockey player would do. Someone with a really important position on a team that's expecting to contend for a Stanley cup. But Robin, as long as I've known him as someone who has conviction and who believes that doing the right thing for someone's health is more important than anything. And everyone needs to take care of their own bodies. He's been through the ringer. He's seen a lot. He hasn't had that mindset his entire career. And he, as he's admitted, he's made a lot of mistakes. 
where I feel for Robin is that he basically wanted to come forward and he almost asked me for help. Can you find other players to speak on my behalf or to speak out about this? Because we as players, it's our duty. If we see things that are wrong in the league, we need to speak out or there's not going to be any change. Um, I tried and I'm still trying. It's really hard to get guys to speak out. He suggested one or two former Buffalo players. I reached out to both of them. Neither of them responded to me over the weekend. Um, And so that's where I feel for Robin because he's being put on this island um, and it's just his fight to fight. And that just feels like a lot of burden for one person. And then the other aspect of it, also just with Vigneault, Robin did want to clarify, he never was actually accusing Elaine Vigneault of just um, bringing pills to players and distributing them. He was just saying that Elaine Vigneault is someone who doesn't treat human beings well. And he knows it, he's seen it, and he doesn't think that that has a place in the league. Um, I know it got really confusing because it was definitely a stream of consciousness, that Twitter thread. And, you know, he, he did make it a little bit confusing, but he wanted to clarify that. Yeah, no. The I'm, big bottom line, yeah. though, and you hit on the nail on the head, this is in the CBA. The players agreed to this. It's not like this in the NFL. In the NFL, a guy can get a second opinion. He can go with that second opinion. Also in the NFL, though, they're not guaranteed salaries. And if a team doesn't agree with what a guy's doing, they can just cut them. In the NHL, it's different. Um, But the guy is, you know, this definitely should have been a conversation before they signed the CBA. And now they're in a really tricky spot. I support Robin Lehner. I admire him. I agree with you. But I just, I'm still waiting until I hear other players. And you brought out a very important point. You attempted to reach out and you did, but they did not respond to two former, keyword former, Buffalo Sabres players. Until I hear current NHL players supporting Robin Lehner's claim, then that narrative that you mentioned moments ago that it's just Robin being Robin, well, that will stick. All right. Oh, the Atlantic Division. Let me tell you something. I was going through my head thinking, what is the? We know what the weakest division is. We've that's been well documented. We talked about it. That's the Pacific Division. But it's an easy case to make. I feel this is the Atlantic or the Metro. But I think heading into this year, the Metro used to be stronger. But to me now, it's the Atlantic. I know the Central is great. I pumped up the Central. The Central is tough, but the two toughest definitely divisions: Central Division and the Atlantic division, which we're going to like give our quick takes on. And it's pretty obvious. Are the Tampa Bay Lightning going to start their quest for a three-peat with winning a division title? Emily, I think the answer is no. They will make the playoffs. They will finish in second place. But I am all in, all in on the Florida Panthers winning this division. I think they have what it takes. I think it'll be another step in the right direction for the Panthers organization to try to win a playoff series for the first time in a million years. And I'm telling you, winning the division is a good start. And then when you look down, then I see the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are going to finish second, and we're going to have those great battles throughout the regular season. Now that we have 82 games, now that we have this normal divisional alignment, it's going to be Tampa against Florida. We saw what it meant in the postseason, of course, this past postseason when you wanted to really see that showdown later on in the playoffs and you saw it in the first round and you saw what Florida can do. So uh, I love Spencer Knight in goal. He's the real deal. Still got big Bob, Sergei Bobrovsky looking to bounce back. I love all their firepower. I love all their, I love their defense and uh, the coach, Coach Q. He's my guy. I know you love him too. He's my guy. I think it's all going to come together. They're going to win a division. 
And I think uh, coming out in third place. Okay, I'm going to pause. We can't, I, I have to give my opinions on the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I'm with you, Linda. Like there's, you look at the Florida Panthers and they have a sneaky good defense. Their offense was the one of the best in the NHL last year. And now they get a full season of uh, Bennett plus Sam Reinhart plus Jumbo Joe Thornton. And I think the Joe Thornton thing is really interesting because this is a team, like you said, that should win this division. They've got all the star power, but it's can they make that next push in the playoffs? And you can see they bring in Jumbo Joe's that like locker room presence as the guy that can get them over that edge. And then that dovetails to me to talk about the time for Bay Lightning because I was just there for a couple of days doing those test preseason games. And can I tell you my biggest takeaway? Please do. How important Corey Perry is to that team already. He was there in a preseason game wearing an A on his sweater. He has been there for a minute. Those guys have won two back-to-back Stanley Cups, and they're already saying that this is a leader on this team. And I thought that was so fascinating. I'm standing there between the benches. I'm watching him run the bench. He's bringing over guys. He's telling them what to look for. Pat Maroon was also doing that. They were skating on a line together. You're going to love this line, by the way. Pierre-Edward Belmare, Pat Maroon, Corey Perry. How good is that as a line? Isn't that fun to watch? Yeah, it's great. But remember, I think in one of our earlier episodes, I brought up the jinx of Corey Perry because wherever he's gone, yes, they go to a Stanley Cup final, but the team that he's on, they lose in the Stanley Cup final. Montreal last year, Dallas the year before. So look out, Tampa Bay. You might be in big trouble. Great. We'll see you in the final. They are, but they also love the guy. And like, I know. I'm... For him, it was so important because he didn't want to be on these teams that were just like, I'm going one and done and I'm yeah. going for it. He was in Anaheim for so long. He wanted a little security. And they gave him a two-year deal, which was important to him. Yeah. Hey, you bring up a good point with the Jumbo Joe Thornton, of course, what he brings, gray beard, uh, still loving it, still loving and playing in the league. That's important. Eric Stahl's another guy, right? Guy that finds a way to be a leader, uh, contributes uh, off the ice and on. Uh, you know, these are these older guys that people say were washed up years ago, and somehow they play a big, huge impact. They play a big factor. Uh, with their respective teams. And yes, Corey Perry, and you saw it firsthand. Good for you, Emily, Corey Perry. Uh, and he's a good guy. I like him. I remember uh, seeing him with the Ducks being out here doing a lot of their charity stuff. He's just a good human and a great, great, great teammate. Uh, okay. So did you even give, I mean, are you in agreement with me that Florida's in first place and Tampa is in second or are you reversing it on me? No, I do. I agree with that. And I think that the signing of Corey Perry shows that they're just gearing up for the point. Like, there's a different regular season than the postseason. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. They're two different seasons. And Tampa Bay knows they just need to get in the playoffs. And once they're there, they've got the right guys. Florida needs to make a statement. They need to win this division. They're going to have that motivation. They've got the talent. I think they're going to do it. Yeah. And then they have to win a playoff series. Third place is really mm-hmm. up for grabs, right? I mean, you cannot, you know, you got Toronto and you got Boston. This is tough. This is tough for me to pick, but I want to talk about the bees first. We had a chance to talk with, defenseman, Long Islander like myself, Charlie McAvoy, when, during NHL Media Days in Chicago, and he's just a joy. And I can't believe he's already a super leader and so young. Uh, you know, he spoke to us about many things. But one of the areas and topics that really stood out was the fact, the impact on a guy like Brad Marchand has on Charlie McAvoy. And this happened way back when, when Charlie was a rookie. And we always think of Brad Marchand as a character. Uh, Sometimes we put that first before his tremendous elite skill level and what kind of top 10 player he is in the National Hockey League. Some would say top five. Uh, But there's another side of Brad Marchand that Charlie McAvoy wanted to make sure we know when we talk to him and what kind of impact 
he made and his style uh, had on him. He is one of the most competitive guys that I've ever had the chance to play with. He's amazing. Uh, his skill is off the charts. His desire is even more so. Like he, he's a great guy. Like in the summer, it's kind of you know it's summer hockey, right? No one's yeah. touching each other or anything like that. Like it's it's what you know you could call shinny. Finding your legs again. Yes, he goes all out, <laughs> and you know it takes a different mindset to kind of appreciate it. Like okay, this guy's pushing me. Like I'm gonna be very ready for camp. Like. I'm back to taking pride in battles with him and he wants to win. You want to win. It brings out the competitive juices and everything. And like, he wants you to play him hard. Um, that's just kind of who he is. Like he, he's such a competitor and going against him makes you so much better. So all that being said, Charlie, uh, one of the leaders, obviously he's take those lessons from Brad Marchand. This team has something to prove. This team still has a chip on the shoulder. That's how they play. This team this core group still wants to win another Stanley Cup, uh, but Toronto, Toronto, it will be along the way, just like Tampa and Florida, I believe, will be fighting for first place throughout in this division. I believe, obviously, Toronto and the Bruins will have a season-long battle to, to get that last, uh, that third-place spot, that playoff spot in this Atlantic division. Yeah, I think there's a sense in Toronto, and I got this from spending a bit of time with uh, Austin Matthews this summer uh, in Arizona, is that there's urgency, and they don't want to feel the way they felt the last couple of years, and they're sick of it, and they know they're going to go into the season, but if it doesn't work out again, this could be it for the core, and everyone's kind of running out of chances on them. And so I think that's what we're going to see from this team, this pressure. What I wonder, though, is – it always comes down to goaltending and defense for them, right? Like we know they have the star power. It's the only team in the league that has three guys making more than $10 million plus William Nylander, who's making like seven, but is that defense they've gotten better, but is it really going to carry them? And then, okay, you get rid of Freddie Anderson. You got Peter Mrazic and Jack Campbell. Both guys can be really good, but we've never seen it over a sustained sample size, more than a small sample size. So I do have a bit of questions back there. Yeah, and Morazic injury prone, of course. Uh, so he'll be backing up Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell's still young. He's fired up for the season. He too, I've been seeing quotes from him just talking about how they have a lot to prove and bouncing back from there, you know, blowing that 3-1 series lead against Montreal, of course, in the postseason. Those big money guys you mentioned, those $10 million a year, whatever the hell they make, but they make a lot of money. Uh, they got to step up. They got to come through. Uh, no days off for those guys. But I'll tell you, even if they grab one of those wild card spots in the conference and that's how they get in, they'll be a team to be reckoned with. But it all depends. I feel their weakness is goaltending. I got to see more from Jack Campbell. I expect to uh, see a good season from Jack Campbell. Question is, will that be enough? So the Atlantic Division, definitely to me, will be competitive and it will be those four teams battling out for the top three spots in the division for sure. Any dark horse, Emily? I mean, shock me. I, I, I mean, I don't see it. I don't see any other team other than those top four at least grabbing the top three spot, playoff spots in that division. You know, last year was the year where I was like, oh, the Ottawa Senators, yeah. they're young. They're plucky. They've got all this talent. Finish and strong. I still feel that way. They're young. They're plucky. They've got all this talent. It's just really, really young talent. Yeah. Brady Kachuk right now is like the only last holdout. He'll sign. He's, yeah. He wants to sign long-term, which I'm actually kind of surprised at as a young American kid. But I think he sees 
that core that's around him of all of these exciting players. Um, I just don't see it for them this year. It's always, you know, the question that Matt Murray is one of the more fascinating or polarizing goalies in the league. Um, but like Tim Stutzla and Thomas Chabot, like those are two players to get super excited about. I mean, there's a ton of players to get excited about on that team. So there's someone who could like, you know, play spoiler a bit. The Detroit Red Wings are interesting to me because like Steve Eiserman still hasn't put a timeline on this rebuild. Smart. And now we're at a point where, yeah, you <laughs> thought you had like, four core players and he's already traded one to two of them. Mantha's gone. Maybe Bertuzzi goes now. The vaccine situation kind of changed the complexion of his future with the team. It's Dylan Larkin and Moritz Sider. And that's about it. Like Zadina, I guess you get kind of excited about, but it, it's, I, I think measurement of success for the Detroit Red Wings this year is how does Moritz Sider develop? Yeah. Really? That, that's kind of what they're looking at. And you just got to get more wins in the win column. I just want to go back to Ottawa. Uh, I don't want to hear from everyone and their grandmother telling me, oh, but Linda and the Senators, they finished so strong. You know why they finished strong? They had nothing to play for. OK, <laughs> that is why your team finishes strong down the stretch when they're not a playoff team. They have nothing to play for. They were relaxed. They played spoiler. So I take that with such a grain of salt and I mean half of a grain of salt. So the Senators are not making the postseason, folks. Hopefully they will continue to improve. That's all you can hope for. So far, Matt Murray's having a decent preseason. It was a big adjustment for him going from a, you know, a Penguins defense. Not that that was, you know, worldwide great, but it was a hell of a lot better than the Senators defense. So he had to make that adjustment. I root for Matt Murray. I think he's a good guy and uh, things will get better in Ottawa, but they're not a playoff team. Not yet. No. All right. And I mean, like, I think it goes without saying, but the bottom dwellers have to be the Buffalo Sabres, eh? Like they're just not going to be good. There's not NHL, not enough NHL talent on that roster. I don't think I have to add anything to that. They're going to be buried <laughs> in last place and they're going to be battling uh, their battle. Their only battle in the National Hockey League this year will be the battle to avoid the overall last place with the Arizona Coyotes, because I believe Arizona and the Buffalo Sabres will be the two worst teams in the National Hockey League. I think those are very good guesses, Linda. I think those are educated guesses. Thank you, because I hate to end on a negative, but I'm ending on a negative. They'll be bad. Okay, should we talk about one positive thing before we go then? Because oh, like, you like. can't leave people with a sour taste. Okay, go. What was the best thing you did this weekend? Oh, the best thing I did this weekend is just being able, honestly, to watch football all day on Sunday. I'm one of those people. I work hard like you. Sundays are my day off. And usually it is just the one day off and uh, rooting for the goat, rooting for Tom Brady. Uh, he got it done barely. I just took on as a mother. I take on all the emotions. Now, let me just make this straight. I don't think I could be Tom Brady's mother. He's 44. <laughs> but I will say this. I took on all those emotions of his return. And I kind of was thinking about that in the National Hockey League. Right. Can we make that um, comparison to many uh, all-time greats? You know, when you think of the great one and Wayne Gretzky, that's the one I thought of. I know Wayne ended up playing with a million teams, which kind of, for me, was sad. But the move being traded uh, from Edmonton to the LA Kings and then that first time facing Edmonton, to me, that was a, the great comparison that you can make with Brady going to uh, Foxborough and the big return. And then you saw, of course, you know, what happened with Wayne Gretzky and how emotional that was. So that that's what I was thinking of yesterday on my great relaxing day with my dog Babs, uh, watching uh, the goats return to Foxborough. It's so lovely. Um, I watched that game in my hotel bed. And if you can't hear, I've got a little, uh, 
lingering sinuses from being on these planes and traveling all across the country. So I had these big plans of being active in Seattle. And I was like, I think the thing I need to do is catch up on work and lie in bed and watch football all day. I did, though, after I interviewed Ron Francis, I literally, <laughs> this is the glamorous life, people. I get off the plane. I wake up at like 5 a.m. in Tampa, get on the 7 a.m. flight to get to Seattle, arrive at like 10 a.m., go get my stuff, get the rental car, drive to the practice facility, sit in traffic, find a Starbucks, get changed in the bathroom of Starbucks, do my makeup, Been there. get to the practice facility. And then Ron Francis is like, great, I'd love to start the interview early because I've got a couch being delivered. So um, that was my He's Saturday. still moving in, huh? It's taken him this yeah, long exactly. to get the, to feel at home in Seattle. Still moving in. I, I got the couch delivered. Hey, we've all been there changing in a Starbucks. But, you know, being a former Seattle resident, I would have uh, totally guided you uh, to other uh, local. Okay, but after I did the interview, though, I went to the Botanical Gardens and went on an hour-long hike there, and it was gorgeous. All right, good. Good to see. Good to hear. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe I'm I'll right. try to get to do something tomorrow before I leave. I, I thought... It was funny. You were saying you weren't active in Seattle. What did you go? You were active in Seattle. I thought of you. Were you sleepless in Seattle? Active in Seattle. (laughs) I was sleepy in Seattle. There it is. You know, the sequel, the classic to Meg. Was it Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. God, that movie's so good. It still slaps. Yeah. So good. You know, because I think this would be a good time to end it because they're still working on the roof of this apartment building I currently live in. And maybe people are hearing it on the drilling on the background. So. Maybe we should end it here. We did end on a positive, which is great. Before we let you go, we want to tell you that Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max is on ESPN Radio Monday through Friday from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. And they're bringing you the insights from a former number one pick in the NFL draft, Keyshawn Johnson, along with the number two pick in the NBA draft, Jay Williams, and host Max Kellerman on the latest news from the NFL and college football. Tune in to hear them debate what's happening and grill the best known guests in sports. That's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and ESPN News, or listen to the podcast of the show. Also, the Peabody and Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 film series presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary event about the city, the swagger, and the wild ride of the 1986 Mets. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconic teams and their legendary World Series comeback. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper, and more. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app immediately. Also, I just want to let everyone know about ESPN's new NHL show, The Point. It's being hosted by John Bucigras, and it's a studio show like hockey fans have never seen before. Really rich storytelling, deep analysis, opinions, insight, reporting. Honestly, you're going to get it all. And I'm going to be there alongside ESPN's new lineup of NHL analysts, giving you pretty much exactly what I just described. It all begins this Thursday, October 7th. That's our first episode. And you can find new episodes every Thursday or just stream it on ESPN+. Plus. Again, if you don't have ESPN+, Plus at this point, what are you doing? Anyways, make sure you watch The Point on ESPN on Thursdays. It's going to be good.